Our Old Testament reading this morning will be Psalm 89, verses 1 to 4. Let us listen for God's holy word. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Here ends our first reading. Today our reading will continue uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And I'll be reading today from the fifth chapter. If you care to read along in your pew Bible, you may do so on page 39 of the New Testament. Let us now hear of Jesus' journey into a new and different region in his day. Now Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he'd often been restrained with shackles and a chain in chains. But the chains he wrenched apart. And the shackles, he broke in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there was a hillside on there, and there was a great herd of swine that was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave him permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and the country, and then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they were afraid. 
those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. And then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might come with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the capitalist how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is the end of our reading from the Gospel this day. May we never cease to be amazed at the healing power of God's love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we're going to carry forward with this study of the Gospel of Mark. It is uh, the least polished in many ways and most humble of the Gospels. There was a very accomplished writer, a famous jurist and Supreme Court Justice, a man named Oliver Wendell Holmes, very eloquent man. And he liked to tell the story of how he received a lesson in humility from a very unlikely source one day. He was out for a stroll on a city street and a little girl came up beside him. And they went walking side by side for a while and then she announced to him that it was time for her to go home. So he turned to her, the Supreme Court Justice, and he said, well, tell your mother when she asks where you have been that you've been out walking with Oliver Wendell Holmes. Well, the little girl didn't miss a beat. She turned and looked at this famous jurist and in all innocence said, when your folks ask where you've been, tell them you were out walking with Mary Susanna Brown. Well, friends, we're walking through, we're taking a stroll through this humble gospel the Gospel of Mark. I don't know many people I've met through my years of ministry who have told me that the Gospel of Mark is their favorite. Some like John, some like Luke. The early writers were most fond of quoting Matthew. Here we are in Mark. It is the Gospel that all the other Gospels use to fill their baseline of content. It is the oldest of the Gospels. Even the currently popular non-biblical Gnostic Gospels are new and recent compared with this Gospel of Mark. Mark gathered his Gospel from first-hand accounts of people that had known Jesus, people that were part of his own Christian community. For example, when he describes Simon the Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus' cross. He refers to Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. 
Now, this is the only reference to Alexander and Rufus in all the Bible, and scholars say that's because Mark was speaking to his community that knew Alexander and Rufus and their dad had carried Jesus' cross. It's that kind of closeness of stories that Mark is sharing with us. Mark is not writing in order to offer a precise historical document for scholars to debate. Mark is writing because he has something urgent to share, something he wants his listeners to hear. And it's worth remembering that in this day the gospel was not encountered in a quiet library by people reading in silence. History doesn't record till centuries later that people would even read in silence. Instead, the gospel was spoken aloud to a community mostly of illiterate persons who were hearing this story being shared with a sense of urgency. Mark wants his listeners to encounter the person of Jesus from Nazareth. Mark writes this gospel in the years surrounding the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. In the year 66 AD, just three decades after Jesus' death, a Jewish leader in Jerusalem refused to offer sacrifice in the temple to the emperor in Rome. And this was the final straw for the Romans. So the famous third temple in Jerusalem that Herod and all his egoism built with these grand stones, that temple and the whole city was utterly destroyed. An attempt to obliterate the Jewish faith only slowly over centuries would that town rebuild primarily at first as a Roman garrison. So the Gospel of Mark is written as an urgent message of God into the midst of turmoil. Mark carries us from one scene to the next. You hear, as we heard in this passage today, that word immediately placed throughout the text. He is eager for us to grasp the power of God's love that Jesus is bringing the world. And Mark's gospel at the very end concludes with an urgent message to Jesus from the angel that Jesus is, for, to, message to Peter that Jesus is raised from the dead and that Peter can find him back where his discipleship began in daily life in Galilee. Now Mark was in all likelihood a man of Galilee in northern Palestine. And we meet Jesus in this passage in the north. After Jesus began his ministry of healing and miracles. And here in this passage, for the first time, Jesus has left Israel and arrived at the other side of the great lake of the Holy Land, the Sea of Galilee. He arrives in a place of Gentiles, modern-day Syria and Jordan, a place where young men, tired of countryside life, would frequently join up with legions of the Roman Empire, eager for fame and fortune, eager for three square meals a day. And of all the people Jesus might encounter, he immediately comes across the most bizarre resident of the county. 
No sooner does Jesus step out of the boat than he is confronted by a man who the citizens of this Gerasene area said lived in the tombs, hung out in the cemetery. Now, for the listeners to Mark's gospel, it was a Jewish community. Many of them were aware of the prophet Isaiah's words saying that those who spend their time in the tombs, who spend their night in secret places, even people who eat swine's flesh, these people are condemned. But Jesus, standing before this man, sees a human being. A human being. The residents, they told Jesus, they said they'd try to restrain the man. Try to restrain him with shackles and chains, but nothing would hold him back. This was a strong man. More than that, he was running around without clothing. I mean, he was a man that the people feared. But Jesus sees a human being. I wonder, worshiping friend, who do we cast aside? Who is it that fills us with fear? Are we able to see their humanity? Can we see a human being? Of all the healing stories in the Gospel of Mark, this is the longest, perhaps because Mark is helping us understand that Jesus sees each one of us from an entirely different point of view. If this afflicted man, who recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, calling him the Most High God, the reference that people that were not believers usually used referring to the God of Israel, the Most High God. Well, if this man, a man who is afflicted by demons, he sees him and recognizes him. He is afflicted by demons that live to curse and shame. Demons that keep us from seeing the beauty and wonder of this life. Demons that send us for comfort to the melancholic land of the dead. Demons that crush the spirit and steal our humanity. Jesus commands the demons to come out of this human being. Now, worshiping friend, I've known all of you long enough, and I know myself well enough, to be aware that we are all afflicted by demons of some kind. We all have known sorrow, or often even shame. Some have been afflicted so deeply that we even come to question at times the value of life itself. Jesus is giving us permission to send these sorrows away. Jesus looks the man in the eye and asks for his name. And his unclean spirit responds, My name is Legion, a Roman military term. Now pay attention here, because remember Mark was written in a time of Roman oppression. 
And so, for the listeners, hearing a document like this gospel could be perceived as a threat to the powers that had just destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So Mark is speaking in urgent code. He is confronting the empire of sickness that robbed a decent life from the poor people of the countryside. Now, on the whole, I look at you and I don't think that many of us could be considered peasants here in Lake County. And in truth, our lives are the more privileged of this empire today. But every day, as your pastor, I do see the demons of this society afflicting our lives. The competition that suggests values only found at the top. The anxiety that comes from adding more and more to our overtaxed schedules and lives. The pressure to always be a little more clever, a little more cynical and jaded, a little less sincere, a little less kind. There are legions afflicting us today. But Jesus in this Gospel of Mark is turning the story upside down. Mark's listeners are quaking at this confrontation with legions. And then, with a kind of wry Jewish humor, the story goes forward as Jesus hears these demons announce, Hey, let us go into those pigs over there. And so Jesus just lets them fly. Now, you realize that an observant Jew does not eat swine. And I've been reading this passage in a new way lately because my son now has a partner on an organic farm in Wisconsin and his partner is a secular Jewish man and together they raise many things including pigs, alright? So I'm reading this with new eyes. Those poor pigs, right? Or think of the poor swine herds that lost their whole herd of pigs. Here is this story where the demons go into the pigs and they go rushing the word literally is charging. And remember, they were called a legion. So that the Greek term here is actually the same term you would use when a commander says, attack and the legion charges. And listen to how this story is turned around now. Because they go rushing down this great slope and this legion of demons, emblematic of that great and mighty empire, it is foolishly drowned in the waters of the sea. I'm standing here at the baptismal pond as these people now are professing their faith to remind us that one thing we affirm in baptism is that sin and our old life is drowned. All those demons are drowned in the death of our Savior that we might rise to new life. This empire of demons will meet with tragic defeat. Centuries after the Roman Empire has fallen, we have men and women professing their allegiance to Jesus, the healer in this story, 
Who today would dare profess allegiance to Caesar and Rome? So that man, the man who was in the tombs, he is healed. His soul is resurrected. Jesus healed his soul. And friend, he can heal you and me as well. He gives us a new name. Child of God, beloved, human being. Jesus is able to heal our afflictions. Now, do we want that? The residents seeing this big, strong man, finally clothed, sitting in his right mind, well, the people of that region were afraid. Jesus was bringing trouble to the area. He was disrupting the order of the empire. And looking at the crowd, this man, healed and in his right mind, says, hey Jesus, can I go with you? But Jesus does not heal us in order to run away from our lives, friends. He restores our humanity and we, in turn, must bring that humanity to our community. Now, last night it was such a beautiful thing to hear the witness of our partners in mission share at the Trivia Night. We participate with others all over this county to make life more humane for all. And there's just so much more to do. I'll tell you a story. A man named James Wind was visiting Chicago's Museum of Modern Art some years ago, and at the time there was a display by the artist Erica Rothenberg. She had taken a piece of everyday life. It was just a small little church bulletin board, okay? And she had turned this into a provocative work of art. It was simple white letters on a black background. It read, evenings at seven o'clock in Parish Hall. And underneath was a list. Monday, Alcoholics Anonymous. Tuesday, Abused Spouses. Wednesday, Eating Disorders. Thursday, Say No to Drugs. Friday, Teen Suicide Watch. Saturday, Soup Kitchen. And then beneath it all it said, Sunday, Sermon, 10 o'clock. Here's the title, America's Joyous Future. So the reader was wondering, was this an indictment of churches that are disconnected from reality? Or could it be the reflection of a church that is knee-deep in the afflictions of our age, asserting that there is a better day? The difference in perception, I suppose, remains with us. And I think Jesus gives that responsibility of perception to us in this story. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. That's Jesus' word of healing. And it's his word to each one of us here today. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>